today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The federal government has indicated that it is willing to put up about half a billion dollars into financing electric vehicle production, probably at the Oakville plant that uh, we pass all the time. That's a plant that has gone through some rough times over the last little while. Uh, Yes, the big question here is, are you game for this? I mean, is the public going to buy into it this time? Let's uh, bring up uh, Marvin Ryder into the conversation about this. Marvin, of course, business professor at the DeGood School of Business at McMaster University. Uh, Marvin, a busy day. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Glad to be with you today, Bill. Uh, the percentage of people that are driving electric cars right now is minimal. Uh, and I know that there are projections that, well, it's going to be much higher in another 15, 20 years. Uh, is there really an appetite for, for electric cars in this market? Mm, boy, there's a trillion-dollar question if I ever heard one. So let's start with where we are, and then we can talk about where we're going today in Canada uh, in terms of new vehicles being sold, in terms of new vehicles being sold, electric vehicles, and that would include uh, strictly electric and also hybrid, a mix of gas and electric power, represent 4% of the total. Now, that's not very much. Uh, a few years ago, like two years ago, three years ago, it was only 1% of the total. Uh, and this is a bit like online shopping. Online shopping is still only 10% uh, or excuse me, 7% of all retail expenditures. But boy, is it the fastest growing category. So that's what we know is that the electric vehicle segment is growing quickly. What's stopping it from growing as fast as I think many people uh, had hoped is first the range of the vehicle between charges. We are creeping up on a little over 400 kilometers between charges. I think, and and who knows if I'm right on this, but I think you've got to get a range of over 500 kilometers, maybe approaching 600 kilometers. That would allow you in Hamilton, for instance, to drive to London, Ontario, and return without any worry about running out of a charge. That's problem number one. And problem number two is when I do need to recharge right now, you have to uh, let the car sit with a charger, even one of these faster charges, for 20, 30 minutes. Not a problem if you want to go get a cup of coffee and stretch your legs, but if you're doing some driving, let's say, to Florida, and every 600 kilometers, 500, 600 kilometers, you need a cup of coffee, you're never going to get to Florida. <laughs> so we've got to extend the range, and we've got to charge it more quickly. Uh, and, and yet, if you talk to nice people like Elon Musk of Tesla fame, that electric vehicle, he says is just around the corner, meaning in less than 24 months. So I'm, I'm saying all that because today, no, electric vehicles don't quite make sense. But as, as soon as 2025, five years from now, if you can extend the range and if you can charge them more quickly, then I think they do start to become a viable alternative. And the reason for that is maintenance. A, a gas-powered vehicle, basically you have little explosions going on in your engine as you burn gasoline. You've got to cool the engine, the water radiators, so on and so forth. Electric vehicles have much less maintenance because they operate in a different way. And I think, although they are at this moment more expensive, if you look at the life cycle costs, over the long run, they, they are cheaper. So if I can fix the problems, they will become more important. I just don't know when. And, and there's a couple of things here I wanted to ask you about that. And you're absolutely right. I, I, 
I know people that drive electric cars, actually, and my wife has a hybrid. She loves it, but that gives you that extra stuff. You know, it's fossil fuel and, and electricity, so you get, well, some people think the best of both worlds in a situation like that. Right. But with electric cars, though, uh, this is Canada, and, and this is the concern yeah. that I've got about this. It gets cold up here. Anybody who stepped outside when it's minus 10 with their cell phone knows that the cell phone will die in about two minutes because of the cold weather. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bigger battery in a car, Marvin. I grant you that, but, but the same thing happens. Uh, how do you make that accommodation for electric cars in Canada because of the, the swings in temperature? Yeah, bigger bigger banks of batteries. In fact, it's not just one yeah. battery; it is a bank of batteries inside them. Well, a couple of things on that. You know that that again speaks to the range, how far I can drive before I recharge them. So if I can do 600 kilometers on a nice sunny, warm summer's day, how far can I go uh, during the winter on a really brutally cold day? And and when you talk to the people uh, who, who who promote these vehicles, they say, yeah, you know, maybe 20, 25% less. That's again why I say to you, if the range is only 400 in good weather and it drops down to 300, that means I can't go to London and back on one charge. I've got to stop and charge. That's when we get the problem. I think, again, if we can get to that 600, 700 kilometer range between charging and then faster charging when I need it, it'll become less of an issue. I mean, I think I've told you the famous story. There was, it was Greg Sabera who used to be the finance minister here, and I guess he has a Tesla. He has an electric car anyway. Uh, and a friend of his was telling me the story. He was down at the waterfront, down at the convention center in Toronto, and wanting to go home just north of Newmarket. And uh, it was like minus 25. It was the January, a very bitter, cold day. And he barely made it. I mean, it was one of those things where he was jettisoning, turning this off, turning the radio off, turning this, uh, because he, the battery was just going straightly down. Uh, but if there's a problem, there's some somewhere there is technology to deal with it. I guess they just haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it yet because uh, they're not really mass producing these, and and the market isn't jumping up. But you got to figure that they're addressing that somewhere. Well, I I, I want to say that to you, Bill, but we don't know that for certain. Uh, the concern is not the range. I think the range is fairly solvable. The problem is the speed of charging. It, I don't claim to be an electrical engineer in any stretch of the imagination, but you may actually be hitting against certain physical limitations. In other words, there may only be so much charge I can put into a battery in a period of time, and I can't get it in there any faster. And if we can't break through that barrier, then then they may be nothing more than a novelty for use around city driving. Again, not a problem if you're a two-car family. This is the little commuter car for the short runs around, and then when you come home, you plug it in and forget it. Uh, but I've got the gas-powered one for the longer run. But really, the whole idea of electric vehicles is they're supposed to completely replace gasoline, and until you solve those problems, we're not sure. Um, in a similar vein, a CBC, um, this is the CBC television network, tried driving a car, I think it was from Ottawa, Ottawa, our capital, right through to Flint, Michigan, which was the home of GM at that time. And uh, they had carefully rooted out where they were going to go. They had actually made note of where they were charging stations, but they got to one charging station and it was broken. And suddenly, you know, they could only go another 10 kilometers. Was there another charging station? That's the other problem we have is there are not that many charging stations. If you're doing cross-country driving, you almost have to decide your route based on their availability. And, of course, I'm talking about Canada, which has at least some kind of a green strategy. I'm not sure electric charging stations are as plentiful in the United States if you were driving to Arizona or Florida. So 
And, and by the way, they used to build a lot of them. Back in when the wind government offered incentives for people to buy the uh, the electric cars, uh, you saw Limeridge Mall up in the south part of Hamilton here. I mean, they got a whole bank of them. It's got to be 30 or 40 different charging stations up there. Uh, nobody's using them now, of course, because as soon as they killed the rebate program, everybody stopped buying, or even if they had intentions of buying electric cars, they didn't do it. But but. So that's that's solvable. That's doable. And you know, I I know that there have been some problems that they've already overcome too. I, I knew somebody who actually drove a an electric car. This is probably about seven eight years ago now, and it was just one of the smaller uh, models. Uh, and growing up the four hundred three hill here, you know, just uh, towards Ancaster. I mean, cyclists were passing her. I mean, it just didn't have much power at all. Uh, but they've changed that now. Apparently, the, these things can can really go quickly as as depending on what car you're getting and and the power behind it. Yeah, if if I use Tesla as the gold standard at this point, certainly it has a pretty good pickup and go uh, on the road those way. So to go back to where we started this conversation, uh, Ford has indicated, as has GM, as has Chrysler, that in their future plans, with a, without a lot of you know dotting the eyes on the specific dates, they feel they've got to develop uh, electric automobiles. So as you probably know, it'd be almost two weeks ago now that uh, Unifor, what used to be the United Auto Workers Union, uh, targeted Ford as its first point of negotiation in terms of contracts and said one of the things they were most worried about was the future of the Oakville plant. The current Oakville plant for Ford produces something called the Edge SUV, but guaranteed production is only until I believe it's the year 2023, and there's been no comment since. You'll recall that GM went through something like this with the Impala production, uh, in Oshawa, and we weren't sure what was going to happen next. And then, of course, the worst-case scenario happened. That line came to an end, and we don't have any use for uh, for um, Oshawa, so we're shutting it down and throwing those people out of work. So in targeting Ford first, what they were really trying to do, along with whatever wage concessions and benefits they wanted, they were really trying to get this long-term strategy. I'm going to suggest that prodded a bit by the union, uh, Canada then stepped up to the table and said, we are prepared to help uh, with various grants and, and um, dollars to encourage Ford not simply to keep this plant open, but to keep it open as their centerpiece of electronic development, if not in North America, at least in Canada, electric development here. $500 million. Now, you've got to look at the, the timing of this. I don't think they're going to get all the cash up front, and I don't think it's all going to be federal. I think the province is going to have and kick in something as well. I am certain the source of this revenue is, at least in part, the uh, carbon tax that they are collecting on things like gasoline. They have to reinvest that money. It's been kept separate in the pot, and they need to put it into green ventures. And what better thing than electric car development? So all of this makes some sense. But again, the devil is in the details. How much money? How fast? Is it all up front over how many years? Uh, ultimately, what they're hoping is that Ford was going to invest nearly $2 billion, that's with a B, $2 billion into the Oakville plant to keep it relevant going forward. And if so, that's going to keep a lot of jobs safe and secure. But there's a lot of ifs in that sense if you weren't paying attention. Absolutely. And, and the one thing I look at this as, as a positive uh, from the, the, the standpoint of the Ford plant in Oakville is, uh, you know, I mean, they used to produce the Windstar there. And, and, of course, you know, those those were family vans, and those kind of went out of the way because SUVs took over. Uh, this is this is cutting-edge technology. This is, uh, you know, to, to set, I guess use the phrase a lot of them are going to use, this is, the, this is the future. At least they hope it's the future of the auto industry. I mean, uh, you know, for those of us that grew up in this uh, southern Ontario era, uh, Marvin, 
and we we we've seen the demise of of the auto industry of the auto sector in Ontario, uh, and it's it's staggering really when you look at where it was and where it is now. So this this would be a shot in the arm if it works. Oh, absolutely, and I, I'm sure Navdeep Nav Baines, who's the the minister of technology, who who would be helping support this industry, is looking at it in a couple of ways. Uh, clearly, if Ford has a plant that's making electric vehicles here, one of the things they're going to need is batteries. Wouldn't it make sense to make the batteries near where you're making the cars? So maybe there could be a battery plant, whether it's owned by Ford or owned by a third party. Maybe that could be here. Wouldn't you need research and development? Wouldn't that be something that our universities could contribute to? And and so I think in his mind, he sees these pieces to the puzzle coming together to create, for lack of a better term, a center of excellence or at least a, an area of excellence in electric vehicles. And if, by the way, if you know Ford is doing this, then... Maybe GM or maybe Chrysler or maybe Toyota or Nissan would like to jump on board and use this. And so I think in his mind, and I don't think this is just in his mind, I think it's in my mind too, this could talk about car manufacturing for the rest of this century if we could do it here. Flip this around if you were really tight with the purse strings and say, no, 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 there are no incentives. You open here because this is just a good place to open. Do it because it's the right thing we could actually be dooming what the auto industry we have left in this country. So, unfortunately, on these sort of big strategic industries, aerospace would be another great example of this, you have to support them a bit because there are other parts of the world that would love to have them instead. In other words, if we don't step up to the table, trust me, Alabama or Louisiana or maybe Mexico Mm -hmm. would say, well, we'd love to have those in our area. Yeah, we've got... So, you know, it isn't just... We're not in this game totally by ourselves. This, unfortunately, is the reality in a global marketplace. Yeah, and the competition is, is wicked for that. I mean, I can remember the discussion you and I had years ago in Lexus, uh, Toyota, that is, decided they want to get a foothold uh, in the in the North American market. Well, they ended up going to Kentucky as opposed to Canada. A lot of people were thinking it was going to be something in southern Ontario, and that never happened. Uh, but that's interesting. I just want to connect the dots here because sure. you, you talked about research and development, which is going to be key and always has been. Uh, there's a lot of that going on at McMaster right now, isn't it? The the you know the McMaster Automotive Research Center, which is on yep. Longwood Road. Yes. So uh, we've had a long history in our engineering department at McMaster of working with the auto industry and solving whatever problems they've had. Let me say, in the last 20 years, much of it has been around robotics. So as they have kept humans working where you have to have a human, but where it makes more sense, maybe for health and safety reasons, to have robots doing welding and odd places, how do we make that happen? And that center on Longwood works on those sorts of problems uh, with the industry partners and solves them. So we have been working a lot in this area, perhaps not as much on batteries per se, but in terms of assembly, you can trace a lot of McMaster innovation in there. And, and our, our staff here, our faculty, uh, are committed to continuing this. There's nothing an engineer loves better than solving a problem. <laughs> so you give them what your challenge is and let their minds loose. You'd be amazed what they can come back with. Well, we'll see just how the government responds. I mean, right now it's uh, a commitment, but uh, we haven't done the ribbon cutting yet, so we're going to have to wait and see uh, if they actually do put their money where their mouth is. Uh, always a pleasure, Marvin. Thanks so much for this today. Glad to be with you today, Bill. Marvin Ryder, of course, from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.